The scripture reading from God's word this morning is taken from Luke 12, 13 through 34. <clears throat> Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And Jesus said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is this the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God? And he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, yet God feeds them. Oh, how much more valuable are you than the birds? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do a small thing as this, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, they, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you Oh, you of little faith. And do not seek what you are to eat or what you are to drink, nor don't be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of the Lord. Right. Good morning. Um, here this kind of time of year where it's not uncommon to see uh, some new faces around the gathering. Uh, it's kind of like transition time of life where people move and uh, kind of reorient their life. So um, if that's you, let me say you're welcome and uh, I'm glad to have you. So um, if you're unaware, we're, we're working through the Gospel of Luke. Um, it's all about Jesus. <laughs> it's, it's all about the Son of God sent to, to seek and save the lost. He's come to 
uh, usher in the kingdom of God and to make a way for sinners to enter into the kingdom. Uh, it's all very exciting up until this point. Um, we can really break Luke's gospel into these different sections, and we're in this, this kind of traveling section, right? Jesus and his disciples are, are, are on the, a journey towards Jerusalem, and one of the main themes of this journey section is discipleship. So essentially, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Um, we saw last week in chapter 12, verses 1 to 12, uh, Jesus had some really important words for his disciples about fear. Uh, misplaced fear versus appropriate fear in your life. Um, the Bible never says we're to eliminate all fear from our lives, but rather for it to be in the right place. Um, and he shows us that there's two ways of living. Uh, you can live by having a fear of man, um, the, the fear of the judgment of those around us, which is a crippling way to live and actually leads to just destruction and death. Uh, the second way of living is in, instead to have a, a fear of God and his judgment um, that's what you're created for. We're created to walk alongside God in his presence uh, without fear, joyfully enjoying who he is, being known by him, uh, enjoying his presence. But the upside down way of, of the Bible is the way to do that is to fear God, right? To have a, an awe and a reverence of who he is, acknowledging his ways and walking according to his ways, right? It, it's this, he's inviting us into this, this non-anxious way of living, uh, but we do that by recognizing who God is um, and, and carefully following his leading and his guidance in our life. Really, the only way forward as disciples of Jesus is a life of total uh, dependence on God every day. Daily dependence on God. That's the only way forward if you're a follower of Jesus. And that's what the Lord's Prayer teaches us. It's what the beginning of chapter uh, 12 teaches us. So uh, let me ask you, how are you doing with that? Uh, like, really, what, what does that look like in your life? To fear God, um, to acknowledge who He is, to, to daily pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. To have a knowledge and a reverence of who He is. How are you reminding yourself of that? How are you reminding one another of that? How are you feeding your minds and your hearts uh, with those truths? What does daily dependence on God look like in your life? What does prayer look like in your life? And when you read the Bible, uh, you read that, that it's a battle, right? It's, it's not a way that, that, that it's always just like walking on the mountaintop, right? Uh, knowing and enjoying God as you kind of skip along through life. No, most of life is, uh, is through dark valleys. Um, those times when, when, when that way of life is, is a fight, right? It's, it's a struggle, it's a strain, right? Do you, do you guys feel that? I, I feel that way. I feel that strain, that, that pull to the, the first way of living, right? To, to fear man and his judgment rather than God's. To fear things of this world rather than what God thinks. Um, if you feel that way, um, it's important then to, to hear the words of Jesus and to read them and to study them and to apply them and store them up in our, our hearts, um, it's not always easy going, right? Like last week, it's not light teaching. Um, these things are, 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 are heavy. They, they take time to digest. They, they take time to wrestle with these things, and that's okay. Um, but it's important, so let's pay attention. Um, in today's passage, it's kind of part two of last week. So Jesus continues with that theme of appropriate fear in our lives, and um, he's trying to pull us away from a life of fear of man and the things of this world towards a life of daily dependence on God and, and walking in godliness. Um, so Lord, would you help us again as we approach you? Would you, Spirit, would you teach us? 
Would you soften our hearts? Um, would you give us a, a single eye and a focus on, on who you are? Um, we need you. Would you help us? In Jesus' name, amen. Right, so verse 13, um, remember the scene that was set at the beginning of chapter 12? This is a, a crowd of many thousands gathering to, to see and to hear Jesus. Um, last week, as they were stampeding and trampling over one another, he kind of just turns and, and has a word with his disciples. Um, but here, uh, someone from this crowd has fought through hard enough, like right? it's showing his determination to get to Jesus, and he gets close enough for his voice to break through. And he's heard clearly by Jesus. And, and he says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Uh, that's not a, an uncommon scene uh, that we've seen so far, right? We, we've seen uh, others fight through these big crowds to get towards Jesus, to ask him for help. Right? Remember that in chapter 9, uh, after Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration, there's a large crowd, and there's a man there who, who, who shouts to Jesus for, for help for his son, who's has, he's suffering greatly from demon possession and, and uh, epilepsy. And, uh, or you remember in chapter 8, the, the bleeding woman, the unclean woman, who, who fights her way through the crowd just to touch Jesus, just to get help. Or in that same crowd, you have Jairus, who, who's approaching Jesus for help because his daughter is dying. Right? And, you, and you see Jesus responding in compassion with these people, having we these desperate people with, with awful situations. And so when we read of this man who, who fights through the crowd for help from Jesus, but, but we hear his request, it seems a little more trivial, right? Um, if you've spent any time at all around young kids, you'll have heard his complaint, right? They're not sharing with me. Would you, would you tell them to, to share? Um, maybe I'm being a little unfair to this guy because... Inheritance is usually a bit more than like Lego, right? But a little parenting PSD coming out here. But it's worth noting Jesus' response to this man's request. He says in verse 14, man, who's, who's made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? Which is a little bit ironic, right? Because of what Jesus just told his disciples in the verses before, where we actually see that Jesus is the final judge. He is the, the ultimate judge. He's the one who stands between heaven and earth. He's the one who, who, who stands between us and God. Access into God's kingdom, access to the Father is through Jesus alone. He made that clear. But, but here we see that, that now is not the time for that judgment yet. John 3.17 says, For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order for the world to be saved through him. Right, this, this trip to earth for Jesus is not for judgment. This one is, is for him to, to seek and save the lost. It's for him to, to preach his gospel of grace, to, to make a way for lost sinners to be saved. He will come again, and that trip will be for judgment, but not yet. And so here we see Jesus, his single focus on his mission. He's here to offer grace and forgiveness, not judgment. And so he's not going to be pulled into these petty squabblings. But he does have something to say to this man, and he says in verse 15, take care and be on guard against all covetousness. Be on guard against covetousness. So, so in the, the, the section before that we looked at last week, he had a warning against a certain sin, which is hypocrisy, right? Living a double life, saying one thing but doing another, 
And we saw that we give in to hypocrisy because of a, a fear of the judgment of man rather than a fear of the judgment of God. And in this section, he's warning against coveting, against greed, against jealousy. It's against what's called an inordinate, inordinate desire for riches. And we give in to coveting and greed for the same reason that we give in to hypocrisy, because of a misplaced fear, right? A fear of losing out, uh, a fear of losing control, a fear of man's judgment. What, what if I get less than him? What, what will people think then? There's, there's, there's fear behind this man's request. And Jesus says, be on guard against that. Watch out against coveting. And notice the reason that he gives for this is in the second half of verse 15. Because one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Right? Because your life, it's not defined by what you can accumulate. It's your, your life is more than, than earning money and, and gathering stuff. And several times through the section, you'll, you'll see Jesus uses that word life. Right? There's this, this theme that there's more than the here and now. Right? That he's trying to point them forward to what comes next. He's, he's trying to expand our, our understanding of reality. Um, you see another result of having a misplaced fear of fearing man and the things of this world rather than fearing God is you lose all perspective of eternity. When you have a fear of God and a fear of, of his coming judgment, then you understand that this current life on earth is not all that there is. Jesus warned his disciples of that in verse 4. Don't, don't fear those who kill your body and can do nothing else. Fear the one who controls your eternal destination. Right? An appropriate fear of God, it brings with it a perspective of eternity. If you only fear man, then you only care about the here and now. Like you lack an eternal perspective. You don't, you don't have a concern for 10,000 years from now. Thus, your only concern is, is for what you can accumulate in this lifetime. And Jesus is saying to this man, listen, you've lost all perspective. There's, there's more to life than, than the here and now. There's more to life than the abundance of your possessions. So, so don't be anxious about these things. Don't let your heart be, be tangled up with this inheritance. In order to, to help him understand, he, he tells a story. Jesus tells a lot of stories. And he tells a, a parable about a rich fool or a greedy farmer. Read from verse 16. And he told him a parable saying, and, and saying this, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? And the moral of the story, the, the lesson is in verse 21, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Right? So it's a pretty simple parable, right? The, the, there's a farmer, his land produces plentifully. Uh, this, this year's crops were exceedingly fruitful. It yielded abundantly. And his response is to build bigger barns in order to store up his goods so that he can rest, right? So that he can enjoy his, his sweet life. And there's a couple things we need to note in order to fully understand the parable. 
Uh, notice that Jesus says it's the land of a rich man. Okay, so, so he's already wealthy. He, he already has all that he needs. They, things have gone well for him. But this year, man, his crops are really fruitful. Why is that? Did, 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 did he uh, have a new farming technique, right? Did it, was there a new kind of fertilizer, new tilling system? I don't know. Farmers help me out. What, he, he does something different. I don't know. Maybe. But that's not ultimately why his harvest is so fruitful. Matthew 5.45 says, It's God who makes the rain fall on the just and the unjust. Psalm 104 says, God causes the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for the labor of man so that he can bring forth food from the earth. Right? He, he may have been a good farmer. He may have had a, a, a large crew to work his fields, but, but God is the one who's behind the growth. He is the one who, who makes the, cr- the crops grow. It's, this is a blessing from God. But what is the rich man's response his response is to, is to plan rather than praise and to hoard rather than help. His first response, it should have been to praise God for, for such blessings, praise the Lord for such a, a generous provision. But that's not his response. His response is, where am I going to put all this stuff? I better build bigger barns. His, his second response after thanking the Lord and praise as a wealthy man who already had plenty, should have been, how can I help those around me? Right? I, I have plenty. I have an abundance. So, so instead of where do I store all of these things up, he should have asked, how can I be a blessing to the world? But he chooses the former, and he hoards in order to kick back and eat and drink and be merry and, and, and enjoy a bit of rest. Um, the verse isn't prohibiting being wealthy. Okay, um, but Jesus, he says, be careful with it. Okay, J- Jesus clearly warns his, hearer, his hearers concerning the, the dangerous eternal implications of earthly wealth with its seductive tendency toward complacency and self-sufficiency and covetousness. Is it saying it's wrong to eat, drink, and be merry? No. In fact, other parts of the Bible encourage taking pleasure in your working and and, and encourage you to enjoy life, right? Jesus isn't saying you shouldn't enjoy life, but what is he doing? He's doing what he always does. He's he's peering into this man's heart. And what does he see? He doesn't see thankfulness. He, He doesn't see delight in God's good gifts. He sees greed and coveting and worry. You see, the greedy farmer thought that his accumulations of goods would bring him rest. But Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus says, that's only found in me. And actually, the opposite turns out to be true for the man. In verse 20, God says, you're a fool, because this very night, your, your soul's required of you. Right? The, the rich man anticipates years of, of rest and ease, but instead, an eternal destiny apart from God awaits him that very night. He had no perspective of eternity. He's only focused on the, the here and now. Nowhere in his heart was there a, a hint of fear of God. No thanksgiving to the one who blesses. No, no outward concern for anyone but himself. Right? He has no perspective of the brevity of his life. But God has that perspective. And he tells the man, tonight's the end for you. And what about your barn full of stuff? What good is that for you now? 
In verse 21, Jesus says, friends, you're a fool if you live this way too. Only storing up earthly treasures for yourself instead of being rich in God, right? Instead of finding your wealth in Him. Do you see the upside-down reality of God's kingdom here? Your life on earth, it's not, only, it's not ultimately about you, right? It's, it's not about making a name for yourself. It's not about making a comfortable life for yourself. Your life's not about your glory, but about God's glory, right? It's about being part of what He's doing in the world. He provides for you. We should thank Him and, and praise Him, and then our response should not be an inward one, but an outward one. Think back to the Lord's Prayer. What's the Lord's Prayer? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We, we should pray that, Jesus says. We're asking, Lord, how can I be part of, of your kingdom? How can I be part of, of building what, you, what you're building here? How can we take part in what your will is? Listen to me. Are you only concerned with building your kingdom Think back of what your, 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 your desires have been just this week. What, if, what are your, your primary concerns? What's your heart wrapped around? Is it building your kingdom? When's the last time you prayed that prayer? Your kingdom come, your will be done. How can I be part of what you're doing, Lord? What about the next line of the Lord's prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. Right, that, that, that prayer involves a daily dependence on his provision, right? The rich fool had no dependence on God. It, bigger barns for his stuff is where his, his hope laid. But that's opposite from the Lord's prayer. That's opposite of praying, Lord, you are our provider. You are our carer. You, you hold us in the palm of your hand. Would you help us today? Would you, would you help meet our needs you see, the only way forward is by daily dependence on God. That, that's what must be in our hearts, and it overflows, right? It, it comes out with desperate, bold, persistent prayers. Do you have those kinds of prayers? Desperate, bold, persistent prayers. If, if not, that's a good indication that you're not living with daily dependence on God. Um, again, it's not a parable against necessarily being wealthy. Um, God isn't condemning him for being wealthy in the first place. He's condemning him for his ungrateful response to God's abundant provision in his life, which was to hoard rather than to help. It's not a parable against uh, wise planning. It's not a parable against, against wisdom. It's a parable against us having no fear of God before our eyes and living as if this life is all that there is. He's only concerned with his own happiness. He's only concerned with what God, uh, he wasn't concerned with what God is doing in the world and how he could be part of it and bless those around him. He's laying up treasure for himself, we're told. Uh, Eugene Peterson says he's filling his barns with self, not God. In verse 22, then he, he turns to his, his disciples again and he, he, he drives it home for them, right? And he says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Do not be anxious about your life. Is that maybe the most countercultural call of Jesus for our society? 
Most studies reveal that millennials and Gen Z are the most anxious generation ever. It's a time of history where we have more access to more information than ever, right? We consume more information in a day than past generations would consume in, in a year or a lifetime even. There's so much to worry about. There's, there's so much mounting pressure resulting in so much anxiety. But Jesus says, that's not my way. Don't be anxious about your life. In fact, this is the third time just within this chapter alone that he, he tells us, do not fear or do not be anxious. And each and every time, he bases that commandment on not you, not your circumstances. He bases it on who God is every time. Don't, don't you know who your heavenly father is? Have you forgotten that? Well, let me remind you, right? Because of him, we can live an unanxious life. We can live without fear. We don't have to be anxious about what we eat. We don't have to be anxious about our, our body and what we, we hang on our bodies. <laughs> Think of clothes that way. You just hang on, on your body. What's Jesus' reasoning for not worrying about even these fundamental aspects of life? He points us to the care of our Heavenly Father, and he expands our understanding of reality. Look at verse 23. Don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will wear. Why? Verse 23, for life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. That's his, it, there's, there's a few reasons for not being anxious about life, and his first reason for not worrying is because life is more than these things, right? He's expanding our understanding of reality. There's more to life than, than food and clothes, right? Are those things bad? No, but there's more to life than them, okay? And if you're anxious about those things, that reveals that your perspective is stuck in the here and now. There's more to life than having the ideal house, right? There's more to life than, than making sure your kids go to the perfect school. There's more to life than, than having a great wardrobe. There's more to life than getting that dream job and getting paid. Jesus says there's so much more to life than these things, so they shouldn't have such a grip on your heart. There's more to life than what you put in your belly. There's more to life than the clothes that you put on your body. I don't know if I'm finding it comforting or, or just really discouraging that 2,000 years ago, people were still wondering, am I in style? Am I, does this look good? We haven't really moved on much, have we? Jesus is saying, don't be anxious about these things because your life is more than them. There's an eternity to be concerned with. The second reason he gives for not being anxious is he puts them in the form of these two little lesser to greater arguments. Verse 24, he is on like a bird kick, like, yeah, maybe there's like birds flying around, but he says, again, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They don't have storehouses or barns, and yet God feeds them. How much more value are you than the birds? It's the second time he've said that. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory, the richest king, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive today, and then burned in uh, the, the oven tomorrow, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you have little faith. All right, so his first reason for not being anxious is to remind them of the brevity of life. There's more to life than food and clothes, but he also wants to remind them of their value to God. How much more value are you than, than birds, right? If, if he feeds the birds, if he, he clothes the, the grass, how much more is his loving eye on you? infinitely more, 
God loves everything he creates. He delights in the birds. He delights in obscure weeds and, and flowers. But those things are nothing compared to his love for you. The third reason for not being anxious is in verse 25 to 26, where he asks that question, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to the span of his life? The answer is obviously none. He's showing the, how inefficient anxiety is, right? We're plagued with it, but it does nothing for us. And so he says, if you're not able to do a small thing like that, why are you anxious about life? Right? He's talking about control here control over our lives. It's something that, that all of us are desperate for at the same time as knowing that it is unattainable, right? And if you don't know that, just keep living a little bit and you'll realize that, that you can have the tightest schedule all you want, right? You, you can plan all you want and still you'll realize that you have little control over what happens in your life. You, you see how Jesus is, in, in each of these reasonings, he's pointing us to two things, right? The, the brevity of life, and the, the realization of the span of eternity, there's more than here and now, but he also is pointing us to the loving care of our Heavenly Father. He knows about you. He made you. He knows your every need. He's the one who's actually in control and wants you to trust him. He wants you to trust him. And he says that at the verse of 28. Oh, uh, verse 28. Oh, you have little faith. Right, so what's he trying to do? He's, he's, he's wanting to lower the anxiety by filling them up with truth about God. Right? He's reminding them who God is. He's reminding them of his control and, and how much he loves them. Right? In other words, he's wanting to increase their faith. That, that's Jesus' antidote to anxiety over life. It's, it's filling your mind up with truths about God and, and reordering your affections around him. He does that in verse 29. He says, Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Right? He knows what you need. Instead, verse 31, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Right? So that word seek, it's, it's more than just kind of look around for. Right? It's, it's something deeper. It means trying to obtain. Right? It's, 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 it's this desire to possess, which sounds an awful like coveting, right? It's interesting. Brings it back to that. What do you desire to possess? What is your heart longing for? Food, drink, clothing, the ideal house or relationship? Jesus says those things shouldn't be what grip your heart. Shouldn't, it shouldn't capture your affections and your longings. What you should desire is his kingdom. There's the prayer again. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. This is what we should be after. In verse 32, Jesus actually shows us what life in that kingdom looks like. Right? Here's the way of Jesus. He's answering that question. Here's the way of God's kingdom. And it's this it's in contrast to the parable of the rich fooler, the, the rich foolish farmer, right? He says. Fear not, little flock. He's sweet, isn't he? You see the gentle heart of Jesus? He loves them. He's, he's not speaking harshly there. He, he cares for them. He has a deep love for them. He's here to be a shepherd, right? To, to guide them to safety, to, to, to fend for them. And he says, fear not, little flock. What's his reasoning? Why? Because of who your father is. It's, it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, 
He's not just going to meet your physical, tangible needs in life. He wants to give you the kingdom. He's inviting you into his realm of everlasting peace and security. Like, are you sick of hearing this yet? Right? What's Jesus' solution to earthly fear? Knowing who your father is. Knowing what he's bringing you into. Keeping your eyes fixed on him. Listen, if your attention is only on the things of this world, how easy is it to be? Like, if your attention is, is what will I wear today? Is it in style? When's the last time I wore this? When's the last time people, what's for dinner tonight? If you're anxious about these things, the temporary things of this world, Jesus says, that's foolish. Instead, your focus every day should be on who your father is. Yes, his holiness, hallowed be your name, fear him, reverence, awe but also on how much he loves you, how much he cares for you. It's his, it's his pleasure to provide you, to provide for you, and to bring you into his kingdom. I'm pretty sure the number one question in our house is, when are we gonna eat? Right, what's for lunch? When's lunch, when's dinner? All day long. Kids are always hungry. Is it time for lunch yet? Are we having dinner? This is a daily anxiety in our home for our children. Food. You get what Jesus is kind of saying here, right? And, and often our answer to those questions is, of course we're eating tonight, right? When's the last time you didn't get fed breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and a million snacks in between, right? When's the last time you packed your lunch before school? Literally never. Like mom and dad always do that for you every morning. When's the last time we didn't care for you? Does it get annoy is it annoying to, to get the ask that constantly? Yep. But I'm an earthly dad, so I easily annoyed. But even still, it's my pleasure to, 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 to meet my kids' needs and even their desires. Like we want them to be safe in our home. We want them to know they're they're cared for. We, we, we don't want our kids to worry if they'll be fed. We don't want them to worry if their clothes are going to be laid out. We want them to know they're, they're cared for, right? Jenny and I want our little flock to trust us and not to worry about these things. And Jesus is calling us into that way of life, right? He's saying, have trust, not in, not in an earthly parent who sometimes does forget school lunches and Trust in a heavenly Father who knows you completely, who desires not just to meet your tangible needs, but to meet your eternal ones, to give you his kingdom. You can trust him. And verse 33 tells us what life in this kingdom looks like. What does it look like to put your trust in the Father to provide? What does it look like to walk in daily, total dependence on him, to live without anxiety or fear and to seek his kingdom. He tells us what it looks like in verse 33. He says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Okay, don't misunderstand this. Okay, he's, he's not saying, hey, now you've got to sell everything that you have and give it away, right? It's, it's not Christian communism, okay? He's, he's simply saying, he's, he's, that's an external reading of the text. He's, he's after the internal desires, right? He's simply saying, listen, life in my kingdom, 
a life of trusting the Father and non-anxiously depending on Him, it means that you should live differently than the greedy farmer in the parable, right? It means you can loosen your grip, right? You, you can stop clinging on. You, you can loosen your death grip on earthly things, and you can begin to help those in need. This is what the rich man should have done, right? God has provided over and above what he needs, so we're not called to hoard anxiously. We're called to help. We're called to be salt and light in this world. We're called to be ambassadors of Christ in the world. We're called to be a blessing to those around us, right? We pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How can we join you in building part of your kingdom? How can we, how can we bring heaven to earth? How do we do that? Well, one of the ways we do that is by letting go of the things that you cling on to and helping those in need. Do you see how this, that's the response of someone who understands that there's more to life than food and clothing. They understand that there's more than just the here and now. That there's more to life than earthly comfort. It's the response of the person who understands that God is the one who's providing their every need. Even the things that you've worked really hard for, they're not yours. They're, they're, they're gifts given to you by God, not, not to, to store up and to be used for your earthly comfort and rest, but as a tool to use in the building of his kingdom. You can let go of your earthly things and start helping those in need. Who does that sound like? It's Jesus. Right? Jesus is the one who didn't cling on to what was rightfully his. Instead, he came down to earth to help you in your need. This invitation into God's kingdom. You see, Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything that he hasn't already done. That's not the kind of king that he is. It's an invitation into his kingdom, but it's an invitation to be like the king of the kingdom. Be like Jesus. In Paul's letter to, to the Philippian Christians, this was his message to them, right? I think it's on the screen. He says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, are you encouraged in Christ? Paul's asking, if there's any comfort from love, are you comforted by being loved by him? If there's any participation in the spirit, right, are you, are you letting the spirit guide in your life? Any affection and sympathy well, Paul says, well, then complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. What does that sound like? Coveting. Beware of covetousness and greed and, and hoarding up. No, he says, don't be selfish ambition or have conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourself. This is the way of the kingdom. This is the way of Jesus. Let each of you not look, look not only to his own interests, like the farmer, but also to the interests of others. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's the way he served you. Okay? That, that, that's how he, he met your needs. 
is by dying in your place for your sins. And Jesus is saying, have the mind of Christ among you. In other words, be like me. Be like Jesus. You, you can actually let go of what's yours and start helping those in need because that's exactly what Jesus did for you. He left the glory of heaven. He left the, the comfort of his Father's side and he, he humbled himself and he, he came low to serve you, to, to do what you could never do for yourself which is pay the penalty of your sins on the cross, thereby making a way for you to, to be forgiven and enter into his kingdom and enter into everlasting peace. Right? That's how you enter into the kingdom, by repenting of your sin and believing in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you've never done that before, do it today. This is what Jesus has come for, to, to bring you in. Do, do you see, friends, how this is it's showing us this gospel way of living, this gospel-shaped life? Be like Jesus who didn't cling to his heavenly rights, but rather served you in order to meet you in your deepest, darkest need. Do, do you see how this is all tied up into knowing who your father is, right? That's, that's that theme through Jesus' teaching. You have a father who knows you, who, needs your, who, who knows your every need. He delights to meet your needs. But your deepest need, friends, is not food and clothing. Your deepest need is a savior. Your deepest need is for someone to come to make you righteous and to pay for your sins, right? It's showing us the Father. And so God, he's, he's giving to us, his, his giving to us begins with the giving of his own son, right? It, it, what costly grace. He gives what he most treasures, what he most loves, and he, he gave up everything in order to help us. So when we understand the gospel, when, that, when that, the, the, the costliness of his grace in order to save us, when that reality fills your mind, when it, when, when it, when it fills you up with the joy of, your, of his salvation, what other response can we have but to reflect him and to be like him in his sacrificial service and his sacrificial love and his costly grace and, and actually care for those around us? We can actually join God in the renewal of this earth building his kingdom on a kingdom of heaven here on earth. It's incredible. Just as we close, verse 34 kind of wraps it all up and it says, he says, for where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. And I love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of that verse. He says, the place where your treasure is is the place where you will most want to be and end up being. The place where your treasure is, it's the place where you will most want to be and end up being. Again, Jesus gives us these two ways of living, right? You, you can store your treasures up in earthly things where they don't last, right? Think about it. Everything that you own will either end up in, in a landfill or in someone else's possession. Or Jesus says, the other option is you can store your, your, your treasures up in heavenly things. That, that, that means to have your desires, your, your affections, the, the, the thing that you seek the most to be wound up in the things of heaven, in God's kingdom. You can tether your heart to him. The question is, what will you love 
and seek the most? What will you love and seek the most? Earthly things, nice clothes, good food, a beautiful home? Or will you love and seek God and his kingdom above all things? Will you seek his kingdom first? Because the place where your treasure is is the place where you will most want to be and end up being. I was thinking about a quote this week, and I couldn't, just couldn't remember who said it. It's a bit of a riff off of Augustine's You Are What You Love quote. But it's something along the lines of God will always give you what you most want. God will always give you what you most love and want. The question is, what will you love the most? The things of this world? These things that, will, that are temporary and will end up only being destroyed? Yeah, you can be, that can be your destination too. Or will you love him and want him the most? Will you seek Jesus and his kingdom? Because it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Will you seek it above all else? You stand with me and we'll pray. I'm just going to have you close your eyes um, and just, just examine your heart for a minute. This is a biggie, isn't it? What has a hold on your heart? What has a hold on your affections? And therefore, what are you, what are you most anxious about? Actually, that's the way to answer the first question. What are you so worried about? It's normal to be anxious. It's normal to, to have a wrestle with fear. I'm not saying, hey, just don't be anxious. <laughs> but Jesus is saying, I want, you, I want you to examine that. Because it'll reveal where your treasure, where your heart is. Do you see how he's adding a new element here? Not, not only is he, do we have a message about a misplaced fear? Fearing the, the, the world and, and, and man and what they can judge you rather than what God. He's also talking about a misplaced love. What do you love the most? And Father, we thank you that you come to meet us not when we are cleaned up, not when we love you, but you, you love us when we didn't love you. You, you. you sent your son to come and seek us and to save us, not when we had aligned our hearts with you first, but when we couldn't be further. There's the gospel. You come for us. You, you pursue us. You make a way for us to respond to your love. Uh, Father, forgive us when our hearts are pulled away by earthly things, sometimes really stupid things, but sometimes by things that, that matter really a lot. But you want us to, to know that you matter most. You do demand, you're a jealous God, you demand our highest affection 
our highest desires. Would you show us what that looks like, Lord? In Jesus' name.